The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you by IANS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. I opened last week's show with a report on how the TV show Saturday Night Live interpreted a distressing near-death experience. Um, the show intended it to be funny, of course, and actually it was, but a real DNDE is anything but funny and can, in fact, be terrifying. Our guest today is very probably the world's leading authority on DNDEs. She is the author of a key book on the subject titled Dancing Past the Dark, and she's about to come out with a follow-up book, which I'll be asking her about during the show. Nancy Evans-Bush has been affiliated with uh, IANS uh, since 1982, first as the executive director, then as a long-term board member and president. And now she's a leading researcher, writer, and blogger on distressing NDEs. Nancy was, the, was our first guest, actually, on our second program back in September 16th of 2013, and uh, again, on June 29th, 2015, uh, and those shows are um, both available on the if you push the past shows button on the NDE Radio website. And you might want to do that, especially with a second uh, program, because um, it's on that program she describes her own distressing near-death experience. So I hope you'll listen to them again when you get a chance. Nancy, welcome back to NDE Radio. Well, Lee, it's always good to be back. <laughs> Nancy, on, on last week's show, I started off trying to discuss DNDEs, and then I got sidetracked onto a discussion of love and reciprocity, how God's love for us needs to be met by our love for Him, and uh, all that importance that we uh, that we practice on this earth, loving God. So, anyway, I'm glad you're here today to keep me on track about DNDEs. And I think still talking about a loving God. Yes, oh, absolutely. Uh, Nancy, you've estimated that perhaps 20% of NDEs can be distressing. Um, that is ranging from a fear of the unknown to a frightening experience of the void to an experience that is truly hellish. Do you suppose these NDEs, or all DAs, NDEs for that matter, are individually designed to teach the experiencer about themselves? I certainly prefer that interpretation to the idea that um, God is just waiting to whale us all for even the most minor transgression. I, I know that traditionally um, these types of experience have been interpreted as being punishment for sin, but it is equally valid to look at them the way the ancients did uh, before the medieval description of hell. And the way the the ancients interpreted them was as challenges. Uh, if you think of of the the heroes of ancient adventures, 
what happens is often a voyage to the underworld where they meet with terrible dragons and monsters and weird things that come out of the deeps. And the whole point is to to meet and vanquish these these whether they're physical monsters or or dangers. And then usually the hero would um be awarded a prize. We've got mm. golden apples, we've got golden fleeces, um, but there's there is a prize, there's a boon to be won, which the hero then takes back with him into the world because now he has special knowledge and can be helpful to his community. Well, mm. we kept the monsters, we kept the fears, but we forgot about the gift. We've just dropped that completely as a culture. And I would like to see us get that back. And the gift is, generally speaking, some deep understanding about ourselves. Yes. Well, there's certainly uh, people that come back from NDEs with gifts, some some of prophecy, some of healing, uh, all the things that uh, actually get mentioned in the Bibles as, as possible gifts from the from the Holy Spirit. Um, you mentioned the ancients, and I immediately thought of Plato's story of the soldier Ur, and he uh, his experience was that uh, after they crossed a field, they were judged and went into a sort of temporary either heaven or a place of punishment. Um, but it was only temporary. And afterwards, the people that had been rewarded and the people who'd been punished all got together and talked about their experience before they were reincarnated. Do you see any any validity in that picture of, uh, of what happens when we die? Oh, I'm so glad you mentioned that. Uh, as, as deeply as it pains me, to have to keep saying this to to audiences, the the Christian the medieval Christian view of hell is the only punishment in any of the world's religions that says the punishment is eternal. Mm. In other traditions, uh, first of all, if we if we look at uh, the Jewish tradition pre-Christian times, uh, punishment for thousands of years, there there was a sense that the the dead good and bad, simply went to a place underground, Sheol. Mm. Um, but that wasn't a place of punishment. It was simply, hey, this is where the dead hang out. It was like a warehouse. And the idea of punishment crept in much later. Are you still there? Yes, I am. <laughs> Good. I heard a series of beeps, and then 
silence, and I was thinking, oh, dear, we've, we've <laughs> lost each other, but here we are. No, no, I, I, I have that experience sometimes myself, but no, we're, we're still, we're still uh, here. Um, there, is a, there is a path that um, I wanted to ask you about. You know the Bardo, the, book, the Tibetan Book of the Dead? Yeah. It suggests that we should all be having a, a temporary DNDE when we cross over because they describe a place uh, you, you traverse that has demons and uh, temptations and uh, distractions that are going to keep you from going into the light. And uh, and yet m- most of the people that have NDEs, uh, the eighty percent, seem to go almost immediately into into uh, a good place. Yeah, there is so much about these experiences that we we don't know. Uh, it, it, there there are people that sometimes have difficulty. Um, with the whole idea of near-death experiences, because even with the beautiful ones, people don't always describe the same place. Mm. So how can they be going to call it whatever if they're all different? So for some folks, this is a real a real uh, roadblock. Mm. How come some people, good people, the saints, um, Teresa of Avila, for one, Joan of Arc, for another. Saints have terribly difficult experiences. Why is that if they're good people? Uh, mm. The title of, of my forthcoming book is the, about the Buddha in hell. How can the Buddha be in hell? This, that just makes no sense. So... For the idea that there is a kind of sorting place makes logical sense. Um, on the other hand, what if some of these experiences aren't about an afterlife? What if they're about now? Hmm. I had a guest on one time that described this uh, her near-death experience is going to a beautiful place with a guide. And she said, I happened to notice, I looked back, we were walking through a field, I think it was a field. And she said, as I looked back, I realized that the scene that I was seeing was disappearing behind me. And so I asked my guide about that. And the guide told me that this, uh, where, what you're perceiving has been created especially for you. Oh, doesn't and, that make sense? I, I thought so. I thought that was really intriguing because of the differences we see in NDEs. The, the whole idea that one size fits all, one place fits all, that there's only a single script and you just stumble into the script and have to follow the same thing. Um, that does not that doesn't really fit with what we know about consciousness and individuality and about growth as as a wonderful way of putting it so if that's the case then perhaps it was it's because 
It's known in advance that you're you're going to be going back. Perhaps this is a picture of something that you should see uh, before you die rather than something that you would see after you die. Well, I certainly like to think that um, they can be any of these, the good experiences, the, the difficult ones, um, can all be seen as having utility, even though it may be hard one to to figure out what does this mean, but that it means something for our our conscious living lives now here. How can I how can I keep learning and growing and getting more towards my goal of being the person um, I want to be? I, why do, how can I do that if I have to die to get there? Exactly. So that- uh, one other thing that... that um, I'm going to forget if I don't say it <laughs> in my mouth. <laughs> that is about that that sorting room. Um, if people have uh, the the DNDs take a long time, typically for people to sort them out because we've been so culturally trained to think of this as hell, punishment, damnation, torment, that people go into a kind of PTSD terror and don't even want to think about them, thereby losing the challenge and and losing whatever the gift is. But what about people who have a terrifying near death, close to death? If we don't talk about these things, if we don't really hash out how do, what is the terrifying experience, how does it work, what might it mean, does it mean you're going to hell? <laughs> Excuse mm. me. Uh, if if the experience happens close to death, there is there is inadequate processing time. Yes. So part of the premise of the Tibetan Book of the Dead, for instance, is to prepare people. If this happens, if you see, if if these are the experiences you have, then here is how to behave. Here is the light to look for. You don't want the little green one. You want the big white one. (laughs) And that seems to me to be such a helpful approach. Yes. I I often go in as a chaplain in the hospital after the families have left. I often go back into the room and shut the door and, and talk to the soul that I assume might still be there and t- tell them to look for the light. Just to, uh, It's a mini Bardo <laughs> instruction, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do, do you suppose, Nancy, um, if these were individually designed mystical experiences and not to say something deeply theological, um, when you have either a DNDE or an NDE, do you suppose... If it were accepted that way, that um, 
so many of the organized religions that just like to reject NDEs out of hand might be more willing to take a look at the importance of the NDE for a personal, as a personal mystical experience? I think they have, that would have the potential to be really helpful. The, the question that comes immediately to mind is for some faith traditions, um, they're so locked into the idea that there is only one right way. I, I don't know if, if they could learn enough flexibility to allow the idea that God works in more than one way. Um, I think it would be great if, if they could do that. But there's so much, there's so much material within each congregation. There are often people who've had near death experiences and they sit there silently in the pews, never sharing it with anyone because they're either embarrassed or they think it's contradictory to, uh, to, to what the the pastor believes, and they, uh, they think it's satanic when, because it didn't doesn't quote Jesus the way they expect it would quote Jesus. Right, and yet uh, there was there's a pastor. I in fact I interviewed him a few shows back, who chose to starting with Easter preached five uh, Sunday sermons on near death experience, complete oh, how with marvelous. Complete with clips, movie clips that he showed during the service of people oh. talking about their NDEs. I got to go to two of these services. It was out in Arizona, and I and I just happened to be out there for two of those uh, five Sundays, and it was terrific. And 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 he said afterwards, talking to me, people came up to me and told me stories I would never have heard about yeah. their own NDEs. And, as and soon as some people shared. have the okay to share. Yeah, and when they shared with the, with the um, congregation itself, I think one person was willing to do that, it made such a powerful impression that this was not just some far-off crazy idea, but that people they knew and loved were actually telling them what had happened to them. And, uh, and you know, if that could happen in churches you know, around around the world, churches, synagogues, mosques, etc. What a difference it would make in our perception of uh, the afterlife. Lee, I have been talking, as you know, I have been speaking in churches uh, for now 30-some years about NDEs. I have never yet spoken to a church group where... Somebody did not, at least one person, sometimes three or even more, have come up afterwards. Usually they're crying, saying, I have never been able to tell anybody about this. Mm. So our churches are full of people who have had these kinds of experiences, pleasant ones, scary ones, disturbing ones. But unless they're given permission is is what it often feels like. Yes, this is normal. Yes, God loves you 
with or without an NDE. Yes, the fact that you've had a frightening experience does not mean that God has thrown you out. It just means you've got some work to do. Yes. It's amazingly powerful. When we had our first conversation on air about this in uh, 2013, uh, we talked a little about, and I hope people go back and listen to this because it's archived on the website, about how you can help people reconcile their NDE experience with their faith experience, with their church practice. Often they can, they can make both work together, uh, to do, to do what needs to be done. And, uh, I don't really have a question about that because we've already talked about it, but it just seems to me that it, we're, there, churches should not feel threatened by the NDE experience. You know, it's like so many other things. We have, we have our own ideas of how God works, and those are our ideas. They're not necessarily God's ideas of how God works. Mm. And if we can just learn, oh, goodness me, it's it's kind of like uh, the current hoo-ha going around about transgender bathrooms. If God says that some children are born with ambiguous genitalia and you can't really tell a, a definitive sex right off the bat. Who are we to argue with this? Who are we to say that we know more than God does? Mm. And I've, I feel this so strongly about NDEs and the the way so many people have to struggle to say, I didn't make this up. I didn't ask for this. Um, can somebody help me figure out what this means to me? Hmm. I've always thought of... Go. I was going to say, I've always thought of NDEs as a gift... Uh, transgender problems, I tend to think of as possibly something we have created ourselves by polluting the environments with estrogen-like chemicals and so forth, so that at some point in the development of the fetus, uh, something has happened, you know, which is which has changed what you know might normally be a boy or a girl in their psychological makeup as well as possibly their physical makeup. And that we've done this, that we have really inflicted this on ourselves, that we see, you know, salamanders and toads and other animals in nature now being born with what we would call deformities in the animal. And uh, these are possibly the same situation in in uh, our transgender kids. You know, it's not their fault, and we have to make all sorts of accommodations for, for what we've done to them. But I think we maybe we've inflicted that on them ourselves. Hmm. Well, in any event, um, we know there are things which happen that we cannot adequately explain. 
Yes. And he is um, being at the top of our list for this half hour. And I just hope that people who are um, kind of held in a really rigid theological structure that says that it's wrong for them to have had such an experience if it doesn't accord to a certain set of man-made interpretations. Um, I just hope they find a way to be whole because they, they certainly can be. Even, oh, yes. Even if the initial experience is uh, extremely difficult. The wholeness just takes time. Someone in the in my church congregation on Sunday said um, that she'd read somewhere or heard from a friend that uh, the best way to deal with something that's bad, like, you know, getting cancer, for example, is to thank God for it. <laughs> it seems, you know, totally crazy, but she said so, she's taken to doing this, thanking God for things that have been real setbacks, and she finds they straighten themselves out in remarkable ways. Yes. And, and so even a DNDE could, can be a blessing if you, if you choose to think of it that way. Eventually they can be. Um, it's, it's important not to be too glib about that, but it's absolutely true. And people are finding this about uh, people who've had early heart attacks, people who've had cancer, all kinds of, of seemingly disastrous experiences out of which they, they emerge with greater compassion, with greater love, with greater desire to help other people. In other words, the same, the same effects as a beautiful NDE has for another group of folks. Yes. The bottom line is universal, and that is that the, when you boil everything down, it's love, it's being compassionate and helpful towards other people. It usually says, what did you learn? So it's love, learning, service. Yes. I just, I, I think it's so cool that Jesus came to the same conclusion. Love God. Yes. Love your neighbor. Yes. In the two minutes we have left, Nancy, tell us about your uh, new book. The um, Thank you for asking. The new book is titled The Buddha in Hell and Other Alarms. Subtitle, Distressing Near-Death Experiences in Perspective. 
The first book, Dancing Past the Dark, is really an extended description and discussion of what are these experiences. This book is based on four years of blog posts and um, years of conference presentations and other articles that the theme of it being, how can we make sense of this, these distressing experiences, particularly the hellish ones, the fact that a person, and it, it's a genuine Burmese monk who had an NDE and uh, saw the Buddha in hell. So the question is, how can we make sense of things that seem to make no sense. And that's the overall theme. And it's the book itself is, um, it's not nearly as data packed as the first book was. It's much more conversational. It's just essays. Um, Neat. About, it's, it's, it, what it is, is the conversation that my blog readers and I have been having over the past four years. Oh, and well, uh, mention quickly, if you would, the uh, how they can find your blog. They can. Um, the blog is Dancing Past the Dark, all one word. And I know it looks funny when you see it printed, but too late. <laughs> <laughs> and is that that's dot, dot com? Dancing, dancing past the dark dot com. Or if you just uh, Google my name, Nancy Evans Bush, uh, it shows up. Great. Nancy, thank you so much for doing the show. Um, uh, let me tell the audience that if they'd like to listen to it again or any of our previous programs, and I'd suggest you check out both of those done with Nancy, please visit our website at nderadio.org. For more information about IANS and uh, the upcoming July conference in Orlando, Florida, go to iands.org. And I know Nancy's going to be there, and I would look forward to seeing you there as well. Thanks for listening. Thanks.